This morning we're continuing in our, our series. We're working through 2 Timothy, and we're going to be in chapter 2, uh, verses 14 through 26, and we're talking about this idea. Well, last week, well, before I go into that, last week we talked about some different strength tips and some ideas of ways that we can build our strength in this race, this endurance thing. And this week we're talking about one big idea in the text is this. Don't derail. Don't derail. And I, and I can't bring up the, the, the title without thinking back to a, a movie in the early 90s. Who can, who can relate with me when, uh, when uh, in the movie Tommy Boy with Chris Farley really messing up his sale? And what did his friend David Spade said? You have derailed. You've blown it. You've messed up. And really, in the, our walk with Christ, there's so many things in this endurance thing that, that, help, that, that cause us to derail, to get off track. And most of this, this text here today is really walking through these different distractions, different things that cause us to derail, to get off focus. You see, I, I think we don't have collectively a focus issue. I think we're fine on focusing. It's just whether or not we're focusing on the right thing. Recently, uh, we had one of those parent-teacher conference things. Do you guys? I'm always very interested to see what they have to say about uh, my kids and how they're doing and all that. And we're t- talking with our uh, my son Chase's teacher, and she was explaining. Well, he has a little bit of a, a focus issue, one might say. Anybody? Any other parents of boys had that similar conversation uh, with with the teacher? And uh, and I was thinking to myself afterwards. I'm like, you know what? I don't think it's a focus attention. I think the wrong focus is the issue. Like he, uh, I don't know if you guys have been around little kids recently and seen these, these things. They call it a loom. A loom. Have you seen this where they make these little bracelets? So if you're wondering how these kids get all these little rubber band bracelets on their wrists, it's this extensive, like detailed, it's like knitting rubber bands. And they make these crazy bracelets. And the amount of focus, it's like one rubber band is off and the whole thing is messed up. And my son can see it, watch it one time on YouTube and then focus in. He can be doing this for hours, making this crazy little bracelet weird things. And I'm like, wait a second. Focus isn't the issue. It's what is he focused on is the problem. And so we've had some good talks about that since the parent teacher. Have you guys seen these things or am I just left up here just just wondering? So this is like a bunch of the bracelets connected together. I don't know how this works. But anyway. Um, but anyway, these looms, like the kids are trading them. It's like the new Beanie Baby. But um, so, so this, this direct focus, so focus not being the problem, having the right focus is the issue. And that's what we're going to see here in the text is there's a lot of things, if we're not careful, that can cause us to derail, to get off, to get off track, to get off, get, get off target. So let me pray for us before we dive into the text. Dear God, we thank you this morning for a chance to be together and to be in your word. What a gift that is, just to be a a gathering of uh, like-minded believers and folks that are wanting to to dive into your word. And so we're just praying that you'd meet us here this morning in this text, that you'd teach us, that you'd stretch us, that it wouldn't just be another message that's heard, but it'd be something that we actually take and apply and that transforms us, God, to be more focused and, and, and less distracted on all the things that are thrown at us, God. We pray that you'd use this text and uh, in that transformation, God. We're committing to that here this morning. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, and if not, the nice thing is we provide them for you. Uh, They're in the pew in front of you, or not pew, but chair. And we're in 2 Timothy 2.14. I'd love for your eyes to be on God's word here. 
uh, this morning, 2.14. And the first area that we're going to see, and we can be, as you're working through this text, you can be assessing maybe some of these might be an issue that you're like, that doesn't really throw me off track. But other ones, maybe you're like, yes, that's where I derail. And so maybe a little bit of an inventory as we work through this. The first area that it points out is don't derail over human words. Don't derail over human words. Verse 14 says this. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present Awana, present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Let's pause there for a second. The first area, as you see in the text there, first it says the word remind, remind. Ever notice how much of the Christian life it has to do with reminders? Just things that you've, you've heard, you know, and you tend, like me, to forget, to forget. So he starts by saying, remind them. Who's he speaking to? He's re- referring to, the, this is a young pastor, Timothy. He's referring to his church, his congregation congregation at the time but then transferable to us it's like saying remind Agora Bible Fellowship of these things the church and he says to charge them charge means to declare emphatically to to speak with with emphasis a stern warning and he says before God before God the even upping the ante even more not to what quarrel about words Quarrel or fight about words. What, what does it mean by words? Is that The idea here is, is human wisdom. Human wisdom. Debating with, with folks that don't know Jesus Christ with human wisdom. Trying to go back and forth toe-to-toe with a, a false teacher or somebody that doesn't believe as we do. How many of you have got, gotten sucked into this before in a conversation? I know I have gotten pulled into it. There's this one season where there's a girl in the ministry that I was uh, leading and she had said, man... If you could ever just take time and, and sit down, grab coffee with my atheist brother, then I, I really think he's gonna he's gonna come to the, the light and this is gonna this is gonna redirect him, this is gonna change things drastically. So I said, sure, you know, and I'll I'll sit down, I'll grab uh, I'll hang out with him at a at a Starbucks. And so we got together and uh, about a an hour and a half into the, the conversation, I just came to realize like this is going nowhere. It's going nowhere. Like I would present some some aspect of the truth, and then be, well, you can see you ever see somebody's like wheels turning as you're talking. You're like they're coming up with their next question, their next. It was a debate. It was a debate. I remember after an hour and a half, I was just like realizing, you know, when we have a different truth source, like this is going to go nowhere. This is going to go nowhere. And so I, I I remember kind of concluding the conversation. I said, you know what, man, I'm. I'm never going to argue you into believing this. I said, the truth is, Jesus Christ loves you, is crazy about you so much so that he came, he lived the perfect life, died as a sacrifice for your sins. And you, whether you believe that or not, that's the reality. And I'm just pleading with you to, 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 to get that right, to, to embrace that free gift. And, and so uh, just realizing that a debate was going nowhere. The debate was getting nowhere. And so for us as believers... To not use valuable traction, valuable time, getting tied up in arguing and quarreling about words. To not get sucked into that. MacArthur made a good point. He said, by doing that, we can inadvertently allow Scripture to be considered on the same level as human level. 
You get, does that make sense? This idea of, a, if we're not careful, we can start saying like, oh, your opinion is in the same category as God's word. And you're like, that, that's not right. That's, that's not healthy. And so we need to be looking for, for, for ripe apples, for people that actually have questions, that, that want to dialogue and want to learn, but we're not looking to debate. Because what happens if we're not careful, then all of a sudden God's word becomes a, a tool or a weapon in this, in this us versus them thing. And that, that's not right. That's not what God has designed for us. What does it say? It warns us. And it says not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. So the first thing not to derail on is over human words, not allowing ourselves to get sucked into that. But rather, what does the verse point out? But rather, so rather than derailing over human words, but rather focus on grasping God's word ourself. I love the Awana verse there, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself God to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. What a great picture of what we're called to as, as believers. We're, not, we're, we're supposed to be handling it rightly. We're supposed to be digging into God's word. I like the, the section there that it says pretty convicting. It says, do your best. Do your best. My question for us, is that something that we can honestly say? That we're honestly saying, that, like, I'm doing my very best possible job of, of digging into God's word and be able to handle it rightly. Can we honestly say that? Are we putting in the work? It describes them as a, as a worker. That's one, a worker that's approved. Are we, are we putting in the work? Are we doing the time? Are we, are we putting in the effort? I love seeing all the uh, group of guys. There's about 20 of us down in, in Long Beach this last uh, couple days at this men's conference. It was cool just seeing all these men committed to digging into God's word. I know some of you didn't work out with schedule stuff, but it was a fantastic picture of somebody digging in so that they're not ashamed. I don't want God looking down and at the, the end of my days to be like, that's what you did with my word? That's how much you know it? That's how much you dug in? Like, I, I, I don't want to be one ashamed. And the thing is, the truth is, is that every day is a new invitation to say like, hey, let's not be that person. Let's this coming up week, let's invest in God's word. Let's make sure that we're able to rightly break it up and rightly divide it. The picture there of rightly handling it was the same term used for cutting straight, for cutting straight. I thought that was interesting as, as uh, Paul being a tent maker. How important would that be in the, your assembly of tents? Can you imagine if you got, oh shoot, this I cut this one on an angle. This one's supposed to be going this direction. He got this idea of cutting straight, rightly handling it. And the same is true for us. Are we rightly handling or able to handle God's word? I thought of uh, two different areas that, that help in this area is the, the, the balance, balancing between not compromising, but also not complicating. Not compromising, but not complicating. The, the truth is, is if we're rightly handling God's word, we're not compromising. We're not, we're not short selling it. We're not softening it. We're not lessening it. We're, we're wanting to stay with what God's word says, whether you're, you're concerned about it being offensive or not. It's sticking with what God's word says. But then also on the same side, not complicating it. In message prep, one of the things that you do is you dive into a bunch of commentaries in the source of a week. It's actually fun. I look forward to it. But there's so many of the commentaries. Bill, you can probably uh, attest to this. There's so many commentaries that you're reading through and you're like, 
what are you even saying? Like you've made God's word something that's like unattainable. Like what are you even talking about? And, and some people like find joy in working through that, not me. But the idea is, is not making it so complicated that it's unattainable for ourselves and those that we interact with. So don't compromise and don't complicate. The idea here of being able to rightly handle the word of truth. It's the opposite idea of quarreling over words. So that's the first area of, uh, of sidetrack that we have the potential to go down. It continues in the text, and he points out other ones. Verse 16 says, But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spe- spread like gangrene. love how vivid that is. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. I don't know how to say those right. Who have swerved... It was funny, we were at this conference this weekend, and this uh, pastor that I really respect is just like, hey, here's a little hint. None of us pastors know how to pronounce these words. And so that made me feel better, the names. All right, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. They're upsetting the faith of some. So this first idea here is don't derail over or with human opinion. The description there is irreverent babble, it says. Or if you have an NIV, it says godless chatter. It's basically words absent of God. Words absent of God, which leaves what? It leaves man. I mean, it leaves human opinion. Human opinion. So you might say that. Don't derail with human opinion. There's a lot of stuff out there that falls in the category of the I think this. Or my opinion is this. I have so many people that ask questions that are just like, Oh, is, are there, is, there, is there life outside of our planet? Are there aliens? The uh, Bible doesn't say that there's not. Well, well, who cares what my opinion is? Sure, there's aliens. Like, I don't know. Like, who, who, who gets concerned about that? Or, or other human opinion things that we get sucked into. How many times have you seen the sign of the guy saying, Christ is returning on September 26, 2000. You know what I mean? Like people getting wrapped up in human opinion about that. And I'm like, wait a second. Doesn't Mark 13 say that nobody knows? Like nobody knows the time that he's going to return. Human opinion. It's such a dangerous thing. A couple years back, a, a gentleman by the name of Rob Bell introduced a book called Love Wins. Love wins, and the whole premise of this book was that after our life, we're going to have this second chance to, to get right with God, and that everybody's going to be restored and go to, go to heaven. It was this great idea, or human opinion sounds good in theory, but the truth is, God's word says that there's a heaven and there's a hell, and we're headed to one or the other. It doesn't matter what my opinion is. What is my opinion? What's the point? You know what I'm saying? And so that's where he's saying, he says, don't avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. It's dangerous. Doctrine typically falls into three different categories, if we're really honest with ourselves. It falls into three of these. You might want to jot these down. The first one, the idea of doctrine falls into primary doctrine. And this is some of the stuff that's foundational to our faith, the inerrancy of Scripture, the Trinity, the Gospel message, the Second Coming. The, that, that, those are the things that are, are, are not up for debate. Those are the things that you, you dig your heels in and you're like, I'm not, I'm not swaying on that at all. Then there's things that fall into secondary doctrine, and there's some debate over which are, are worthy of arguing about the agree to disagree, spiritual gift list, prophetic timeline, 
drinking, infant baptism. There's some things that have divided churches that really shouldn't be dividing churches. So that's a, a second category. So primary doctrine, secondary doctrine. And the, what this text is pointing out is this third category of doctrine. And that's new doctrine. New doctrine. When we start sneaking into opinion, all of a sudden we're adding to this book. We're adding to this book, which we're sternly warned against at the end of Revelations. Don't add a single word, a single letter to this book. And that's what he's saying. He's like, irreverent babble, things that are starting to add onto it. We're responsible for passing on a baton, not being innovative. There's so many pastors that want a, a new angle on things. And we're like, no, I'm just passing a baton from one, one believer to the next. We're passing on a baton, not being innovative in God's truth. It's dangerous. You wonder, you think about how many world religions that are out there. You think, Joseph Smith went on a little tangent, and now what did that do? It's led millions astray. Muhammad with his nightmare, and, and millions are following him. Like craziness. It's when we start to run towards human opinion is a dangerous thing. What, it is, what does the text say it does? It's upsetting the faith of somebody. describes it as gangrene. Are you guys familiar with this disease? I guess it's pretty, pretty common, or infection. I don't know what it would be. I'm not a doctor. Uh, I just play one on TV. But, uh, but, but gang, I don't know where that came from. But gangrene, the idea, the idea is this. Is gangrene is this, this flesh-eating infection is pretty prevalent in wartime that if you don't get it taken care of, what do you need to do? Anybody familiar with this? Amputate. You lop that sucker off. You got gangrene on your arm, and you're like, man, it's going to either take over all of you or you have to cut it off. It has to go. It can't be part of the life of a church. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. And then he starts to point out here, he starts to call people out by name. He says, among them are Hermanius and Philetus. And he describes both of them. Both of them have derailed or they've wandered. They've swerved from the truth. We read, about, we read about Hymenius in 1 Timothy 1.19. It says that he was shipwrecked. His faith, and that he was handed over to Satan. He's wandered, he's swerved away from the truth. What does it point out in the text here that he's swerved away? What is it? What is he teaching? It says he swerved from the truth, saying what? That the resurrection has already happened. That the resurrection has already happened. If the resurrection has already happened, anybody else a little bit dis disappointed with the new body? Like, a, like this is a little too round in the middle, a little too shiny on top, the knees are a little bit weak, you know what I mean? Like you're like, this is lame. But that's, that's what he was teaching. We don't, we, don't know, we don't know all of what he was teaching, but that was, the big, that was the premise, that was the big idea that this resurrection had already happened. And he's saying, man, don't swerve from the truth. Stick with what God's word teaches. Otherwise, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. He goes on, rather than the, that, the alternative of that, don't derail with human opinion, but rather cling to Christ's opinion. He goes on in verse 19, he says, But God's firm foundation stands, bear, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So what he's saying there is this idea is like, who cares about human opinion? The only opinion that matters is God's opinion. His opinion is, he knows who, really if you, if you boil life down to one big thing, that the only thing that matters is, am I his or am I not? That's what it's saying there. Like you, when you boil it down to human opinion, who cares about all those things? The Lord knows 
who's our his and who's our not. That's the most critical thing when you think about what this life comes down to. And so if you're putting a foundation on anything else, it's the wrong foundation. I see this section as good news because if, if we're not conscious of this, it's easy to look around the world and be like, man, this place is going, to tr- going crazy. Like People are, are going all kinds of different directions. And, and, and if you're putting your hope and your foundation in morality, Guess what? Like, watch our school systems. Like, like things, are, things are not getting better. Things are not getting better if, if morality is our foundation. If our government, is it even open today? Like, if our government's our, our foundation, if we're putting our hope in it, like, that, that's obviously fleeting. Like, if, if Western civilization is, or the, the, the Christian country that we have, like, what? Just because there's a few believers that were there part of starting it doesn't mean we have a Christian nation. Let's be honest. Let's be honest, if anything's our foundation other than Jesus Christ, we've got the wrong foundation. We've got the f- wrong foundation. So this I see as hope. It says, God, but God's firm foundation stands. It's not going anywhere. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone, I think this gives us a little direction as to what our focus should be on. Let everyone who, know, who, who's, who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. That should be a part of our focus. Getting away from the sin that entangles us. Why? It goes on in the text. Turn, if, if you will, the next section there. Verse 20. It says, now, why we, don't, why we want to flee iniquity. It says, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Love this passage, this section here. That I was trying to think of parallels, and I don't know what it is in your, your house. He paints two pictures there of two different kinds of vessels, vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. What are think back in your in your house around the, the house? What are some of the, the vessels of honor? Do you guys have anything that's like this prized possession, something that you really cherish? That like if the kids are messing with it, you're like you're you're losing it. Like well, one of the things I don't know. I was trying to think if there's anything. We don't have a whole lot that's very valuable in, in our in our house there. Uh, but but the but the one uh, that broke this week, by the way. Uh, but the but the one the one thing that we hold valuable, or actually my wife does is she collects these Starbucks city mugs. Have you guys seen these? How Starbucks, uh, you know, the Christian drug of choice, uh, the Starbucks, uh, they have, uh, they have uh, these Starbucks mugs and they offer at each city a, a different mug and a different style. And uh, we've gotten to pick one up at different places we've visited. It's been kind of fun over the years, kind of collecting them. I remember one time running all over Hong Kong looking for one Starbucks that maybe has this city mug and I finally found it. And so it's kind of added up this collection of just cool mugs that my wife, I guess somewhat holds in high regard. Then I was thinking, I, I was thinking another area of dishonorable things. Now this is a little bit of uh, inside look into the kegels that maybe you didn't want to have. So, so, so the, the dishonorable one that I came to mind, growing up, my mom always had, after cooking meat, she'd have a jar that was under the sink, and you'd take that jar out and you dump the leftover grease in that. Anybody, true confessions, anybody else have that gro- gross jar in their house? Nice. The first service wouldn't admit it. And, uh, 
And, uh, and what you do is you let that grease kind of build up and it solidifies and starts getting different tears on it from the different meals. I mean, that thing's got to be one of the grossest things ever. Anybody else have this in their house? I was thinking that's the most nasty thing. Now, granted, you could still hold coffee in there, right? Like you could still get some coffee in there. And, and same as the Starbucks mug, they could both hold liquid. But one is clearly dishonorable and nasty and one is moderately cool and, and, and nice, like the, 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 the Starbucks mug. And what, he, what he's pointing out in the text here is he's saying, in this kingdom, this house of believers, there's some that are honorable vessels, those that have put away sin, have put all, all, away the old self, and God can use them tremendously. God's, God's able to use them as a, as a beautiful vessel and do amazing things through them. And then there's some that are dishonorable use. There's some that are still kind of tangled and, and still doing the old, the old self, still living in the old flesh. Those are the ones that are dishonorable use. God still ends up using them and doing some, some cool things through them. Even false teachers. Think about the last time you heard some, some mistruth and you're like, man, that makes me want to dig into God's word even more. I mean, there's still some value valuable things that God uses dishonorable vessels for. But the question is, man, which one do we want to be? Which one do we want to be? That's a, that's a pretty intense reality that the degree in which we are entangled in sin determines our usability. The degree in which we are entangled in sin determines our usability. How usable are we? How usable are we? When God looks down, he's like, man, that's a vessel. That's the, that's the Starbucks mug. I want to grab that one, and I want to, I want to use, I want to, I want to pour myself through that vessel. I want to be used. Are you like the, the grease jar? That's kind of like, man, I don't think I really even want to touch that. You make a little sniff of that. Anybody do that? And, and you're like, that, that, that's gross. That's disgusting. Like, I want to see, I want God to look down on my life, and he's saying the difference between the two is how entangled in sin we are. But the encouraging thing, I thought it was awesome. There's always in Scripture a word of encouragement. He says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. There's hope. They're a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Is that an encouraging thing? That I don't think we talk about that enough in church or as often as we should. What a gift that every day is a fresh invitation to confess and turn from our sins. Like what a, what a cool thing that is in the life of a believer to be like, man, I can come here and, and, and even after the service get together with the, some of the elders. I want to confess and pray and have somebody pray over me. What a gift or invitation, even coming before the Lord on our own. Invitation to come clean and become a, a usable vessel in the kingdom's hands, in the, in the king's hands. So this idea, don't derail with dishonorable living, but rather pursue a life of purity. This cleansing process means some different things. Look at verse 22 as to what has to happen. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So rather than derailing with the dishonorable living, we're to instead pursue a life of purity. 
flee youthful passions. I don't know if I've shared this before, but when I, when I first met Adrian, I was actually dating a young lady. I feel kind of bad about this later, now later on in life. I was dating her, and then I met, and we're kind of, kind of going back and forth, like, I don't know if this is right. Both of us kind of wrestling through this, the girl that we're, I was dating, and we, we took up, but then I met Adrian, and I was like, man, she is sharp, and she is hot, and, and, uh, and, and so we took, the girl that I was dating, we, we actually took a break. Do you guys remember that, where you, you take a break, you're like, we're going to just take a pause on this relationship. But before, I feel bad about this, but before that pause was over, I was already dating Adrian. And, and, and so, and so there, there's something about like putting off the, the, the old, I don't know, this is the worst analogy, uh, put, put, putting, putting, off the, putting off the old and pursuing something that's worth it. You know what I'm saying? I was like, you know what? That sounds terrible now that I'm saying it here. But Adrian, what was the thing that was, was worth the pursuit? All of a sudden, you're like, man, the, the youthful desires, the things that used to entangle me, the things that as a kid used to, like I, I used to play with G.I. Joe, but if you guys came over to my house and saw me playing with G.I. Joe, you'd be like, what are you, that's better. Uh, you, you'd be like, what are you doing? What are you, what are you doing? Those are childish things. Those are things you're to be done with. Like put those aside and pursue things that are worth pursuing. What are the things it says to pursue? It says pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. I love that, that last description there, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, that we're not just pursuing these things on our own. That's what we're called to do as a, as a group of believers. We're all pursuing this together. How much easier it is to do that when you're in community? It's fun being at this conference with a few thousand men that are, that are wanting to put off the old and, and take on the new and wanting that to be a marker in their life where it's a, their, the course is reset. They're going a, a new direction. Something about being with a, a thousand men that have that same resolve because the, the cool gift that God's given us is that along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart that we have the gift of community to do this together. So don't derail with dishonorable living, but rather pursue a life of purity with community, with other people heading in the same direction. The last thing I want to point to in verse 23 is this. Don't derail with foolish debate. With foolish debate. Verse 23 says this. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Pause there. This is a, a great reminder. I don't know how many of you have had somebody in their, their, their life that, that's like just ready to argue everything. That just wants to debate everything. Like you bring up anything. I remember one guy for a season of my life, anything, any conversation, they're always wanting to argue and push back. What, what does that do to you? Like exhausted. You see that person coming and you're like, I'm out of here, man. You're you're fleeing that youthful deal. And you're like, you're like, you're you're getting lost because you're like, man, I, I'm not up for debate. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to argue with you about stuff. It's draining. It sucks the life out of you. It says have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that, that they breed quarrels. So the question is, which things are actually foolish things? 
to argue over? What are the things that are just like, man, that's, that's, just, that's just not smart. I jotted down a couple ideas here. The, the first question to ask yourself is this. Is it worth the argument? Is it really worth it? How many times in a, in a, in a, a marital situation or, or, or with somebody that you care about, you end up in an argument and you're like, Really? Why did we debate about that? Why did we get into that? How many couples are just like that with, with issues that have come up where you're just like, how did we even get here? Here's a little uh, reveal into, into our life. So this last, this last week, it came up as to whether or not I was chivalrous enough. And, uh, and I spent like a, a pretty good amount of energy, any other gentleman been in this, uh, this debate, and I spent a good amount of energy trying to convince and point to make a case for how chivalrous I actually am. You guys believe me, right? And, uh, and, uh, and, and then I, after a while, I was just like, Scott, shut up. If she doesn't think you are, then open a few more doors. You know, like, step it up. Like, like don't debate over things that just aren't worth it. Like, it's just not worth it. And so how many times things that we argue over, that we debate over, you're just like, why? Why? It falls into the category of ignorant controversies. Ignorant controversies. Foolish. Another question is this, and this is, a, this is an important question to ask yourself. Is the person that you're talking to saved? Is the person that you're talking to saved? Because I'll tell you what, we, be, we better be walking like on tiptoes trying to think, man, when there's eternity on the line, let's be very careful about who we're choosing to argue with and take, making the, the, uh, the potential of damaging fruit. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot at stake here. There's a lot at stake. So that's an important question to ask over whatever controversy you want to get into or debate. Man, is the person saved? Another question you can ask yourself, is the person teachable? Is the person teachable? Because really, if somebody's not going to learn from it, what's the point of it? Some of us that, that love debate, we see the, the, the Jehovah, Jehovah's Witness coming to our door, and we're like, all right, game time, let's get it on. And, and so I don't want to hear any yeahs in here. And, uh, and, and so some of us get excited about that. But my, my question for it is, are they showing up on your doorstep? Are they, are they teachable? Are they wanting to learn about Jesus Christ and how he's God in the flesh, God in an earth suit? Are they open to that? Like, like what's the point of engaging in somebody with somebody that's not teachable, that's not looking to learn? They're not, they're not a green apple. It can become foolish and ignorant in that conversation. Is the person teachable? Another question that we can ask, the last one is, is, is it a primary, I mentioned them already, a primary or secondary area of, of, is it a primary or secondary area of doctrine? That's an important question. Because you think about how many church plants happen because of this. Like there's, there's First Baptist on one end of the block, Second Baptist on the other, and across the street is Third Baptist. You're like, Those, that wasn't, a, that wasn't a, a ministry plan. That wasn't an outreach strategy. That was because people debate over some of the stuff that's supposed to be secondary. You know what I'm saying? Like it, foolish things that we can get sidetracked and be like, man, I know some godly people that believe on one area of a, of a biblical uh, conversation and complete, another godly person that believes very differently. Are those things worthy of debate? Like end time controversies, like people are like, are you, are you pre-trib? Are you mid-trib? Are you post-trib? You get sucked into that stuff. I'm mid-trib hoping for pre-trib, but, uh, but, but, but really are these things worth debating? 
Are they worth arguing over? So is it a major or is it a primary or secondary area of doctrine? So this last section there that he he points to gives alternatives of derailing over foolish debate, but rather present truth and gently correct. I think this is a wonderful summary of how we're supposed to interact with with the world around us. Look at some of the things that it says. Be kind to everyone. It says, the, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The idea is they're kind to everyone, what a, what, a, what a change from the way that the world sees us. That would be a, a redirect, huh? Kind to everyone. What, is it, what else does it say? Patiently enduring evil. Patiently enduring evil. A lot of us are on this, on this goal of, of transforming, of modifying non-Christians to be more Christ-like. And you're like, wait a second, they don't even know Christ. Like, how are we going to change their behavior to be consistent with Christ when we haven't even introduced them to Christ? So instead, being patient, patient to endure, patiently enduring evil, to correct people gently. Man, you see some conversations that get just so heated and nasty and ugly with the world around us. They're like, no, we're to do it gently and humbly, still presenting truth, but doing it in a way that we're recognizing what's at stake here. What's at stake here? What does it say? What it says, and they may come to their senses. And escape from the snares of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The hope and prayer is that somebody's going to come to their senses. Like that's what's at stake here. They're ensnared. They're entangled. They're headed to a Christless eternity in hell. Like really? This is, this is critical that we get this right. That we don't get sidetracked and get into quarrels and arguments. But be sensitive. Be, be tender. Be, but yeah, correcting them gently. Some of us take pride in our, in our truth thing that we can rebuke somebody. And you're like, no, that's not what God's word says. It gives some real clear directions here that the hope is that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. That's the end goal, that they, that they may come to this the repentance, not through an argument, but they see like, man, look at this person, how patient they were with me, how loving they were, how they interacted with me. That's the goal. And what the point of this whole section is, man, don't derail. Don't, there's too much at stake here. There's too much at stake here to, to, to get off course and to get arguing over words and human opinion and sidetrack. The only opinion that matters is God's opinion, remembering that. Being sure that, being careful in that, that first section that we talked about, being, being careful to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the truth. I uh, was thinking it just in, in response to this, and uh, maybe if Chad's in here, we can start heading up this direction. Uh, but just in the, the idea of presenting truth, the, the gift that I think is, is offered in this text, I mentioned it a little bit earlier In verse 21, he says this, If anyone, this is talking about any of us that have gotten off track, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, 
ready for every good work. It's an invitation. It's an invitation if we're, if we're honest with ourselves and we're like, man, I have gotten off track with this. To come back, to say like, man, I want to I come back. I want to cleanse myself. I want to I be fresh from the inside out. Back to being able to be served a vessel for his use. That's my prayer and hope for us. Let me pray for us before we conclude with this song. God, I thank you for this text and just how practical, again, your word is speaking directly to things that are 2,000 years later still ensnaring us. Where we get pulled away, we get distracted with human opinion, human words. We get off track and unusable because we're so entangled in sin because we don't even know God's word. God, I pray that you'd change us, that you'd work in us, we'd mold us more into your likeness. That you transform us from the inside out. We know that we're only, that's only possible through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we submit to him even in this song now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. What a, what a gift that verse is and what a great challenge for us. Even going into this week, a lot of times you're like, hey, what do I do with this message? That's a, a great place to start, figuring out how to rightly handle the truth of God, digging into it, making that a priority even in your week ahead. If you guys, uh, I mentioned that's an Awana verse. I still continue to present that as an opportunity. We have Russ in the back in the gazebo if you guys have questions about ways to serve an Awana. Otherwise, I pray you have a fantastic week in the Lord. God bless you.